Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Welcome to another segment of the PI Window on the World. As always, I'm your host, John Hansen. Today's going to be a continuation of our Taking or Risking It All series, and I'm glad to be welcoming to this segment one on one Chris Sawchuk from the Hackett Group to talk about, of course, well, risk management. That's what the Risking It All series is all about. And, you know, we're going to cover a number of areas, including one of the most uh, recent papers written by Chris, co authored by Chris called Emerging Options for Supply Chain Risk Management. And we're going to also touch on, of course, some of the key areas. You know, why is there a recognition or acknowledgement that, that risk does exist, uh, and yet there's not enough action being taken on it? Now, before we get to Chris, who's uh, just joined us on the line, I want to remind you that we are broadcasting live over the virtual airwaves of the Blog Talk Radio Network, which means that if you're joining us now, well, that's just great. I'm, I'm just delighted to have you. However, if your schedule isn't conducive to joining us live, uh, not a problem, because guess what? The entire segment is recorded, which means you can tune in at your convenience on demand. Just another great, great feature of Blog Talk Radio. Anyway, without further delay, let me welcome to the show Chris Sawchuk. Chris, welcome. Hey, John. Thank you for having me. Well, you know what? I've been looking forward to this discussion. We've had discussions in the past, obviously, but I've been looking forward to this because, you know, risk is one of those things that people talk about. I use that analogy or, or, or steal that line from uh, Mark Twain's famous conversation. Everyone talks about the weather, but no one does anything about it. So when I, when I came across your paper, which I believe you co-authored uh, in May, correct me if I'm wrong, um, yeah. But it, it was it was a light went off because it was like you know everybody I don't know if it's it's not a new subject but is it safe to say that there's a renewed interest in its importance? Yeah, I would say there there is, and you know one of the things that we do at Hackett is we run what we call key issue studies, and we do that on an annual basis. One of the things that we found years ago was that when we looked at risk and we asked organizations, what are those things that are top of mind that you're focusing on? Risk always seemed to be less than 50%. So if you looked at 10 different areas uh, that you're focusing on from a, from a priority standpoint, risk was always below the, the midpoint. And you know, from that perspective, it wasn't an area that we spent a lot of time on because you know, what companies were telling us is that it was important, but it wasn't that important. What we saw several years ago was that started to change a bit. And you know, to your point, what we started seeing is a higher interest level in risk. 
And so it gravitated up. It's not the top priority that, it, that our organizations are focusing on from an overall perspective, but it certainly started to gravitate higher in priority. And that's when we sort of took another look at it and, you know, released a study that you had an opportunity to take a look at. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Because I remember about 10 years ago reading a report or a survey, and they were uh, talking with, I, I, think, I believe it was a CFO survey, and they were saying is, mm-hmm. is that the majority recognize that there is risk in their supply chain, but the, mm-hmm. the, the vast majority of those uh, said that we're not really taking any measures towards it. It was reflected in one study that I saw recently that said that while 80% of companies will screen new employee hires before hiring them, only 20% will screen suppliers. So that sort of goes to what you're saying is it's one of those things that everyone was aware of before, but now it's saying we've, we've got to do something. So I guess I've got to ask you, what is that trigger now? What makes it different now? Is it the Brexit the issues of the world? Is it the globalization of the supply chain? What's the factors that, that are starting that movement, at least in the right direction, that warrants, of course, you you doing the paper? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, it, you know, when we did the study, there's two things that really drive the focus on developing a supply risk management capability or program within an organization. Uh, One of those areas is supply continuity, and the other is around regulatory compliance, and you mentioned both of those. It's really very bifurcated. You know, you have a number of organizations out there that are being driven based on regulatory demands and expectations that they actually develop a capability here. great example would be the financial services space. But then you also have those from a supplier continuity standpoint. And so those are the two areas, far and above every other area. You know, we also looked at areas such as, you know, you know, managing, you know, fluctuations in the market due to price, you know, just to, and, and some of the geopolitical risks that are out there. But the two principal drivers of why organizations are focused on that is the supply continuity as well as regulatory compliance. Now, you see, that's an interesting point, the regulatory compliance. I I, I read a a study or a soon-to-be-released paper from an organization called GRMS, um, Mm -hmm. and they've really just recently come on my radar screen. And one of the things they they, they discovered is that they said that companies would, let's say, with compliance for insurance, would believe Mm -hmm. that they had the document on hand that was needed, yet in 90% of the cases, they're saying that when they went to look at those documents, they realized that it was insufficient for what the requirements were. Either the, 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 the coverage had lapsed or the document or the coverage was never enough. But there was this, this false sense we've got it covered when it really wasn't. And the, so I guess is this regulatory compliance that you're talking about, like OFAC list, all of these factors, are these all the ones that are sort of driving the change, sort of pulling people rather than pushing them kind of thing? Well, it's certainly, um, whether you call it pushing them or pulling them into it, yes, yeah, certainly the, the regulatory demands within our environments are certainly putting a lot of pressure on organizations. And, you know, some organizations are actually taking advantage of that. And I mentioned the financial services, you know, area, you know, where you have the Federal Reserve and the OCC, which is certainly driving a lot of that, you know, those expectations in the marketplace because they have to do it. You know, so if you're going to have to do that, you know, you know, the question then becomes is, you know, can you do that to actually build other types of capabilities as a result of it? 
you know, one of the biggest issues that companies have is justifying the investment into these types of programs. And typically what you find is either it's a regulatory pressure because we have to do it or our organization won't be able to operate in business anymore, or it's going to be something, you know, such as a recent event. A, uh, and unfortunately, this tends to drive investment in many organizations because there was a uh, interruption in supply. It had an impact on revenue for the organization due to some disaster that occurred. All of a sudden, it put a sh- you know shine shine the light on actually you know focusing on investing and developing a capability in this area. The challenge is sustaining it. And the nice thing, I, I tell organizations that have the regulatory pressure, and you know it is a lot of work in many cases, depending on the industry. But in many ways, if you want to have a supply risk management capability, you know that regulatory pressure provides the sustainability that a lot of organizations need to keep the program going. You know, what I have seen in some organizations where they've actually built a capability because of some risk event that occurred, but then over time, you know, people start questioning the value of that, you know, the investments that organizations as they get further and further away from the event that actually caused them to develop that capability in the first place. So it's really an acute reactive position. The, 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 the acuteness being, of course, that it's at that moment we've got a major problem, we've got to do something. And then once that yeah. begins to wane over time, people then begin to wonder, well, you know, is, is it really worth the effort? Now, this leads into my next question, which I found very interesting, because we both were at a, a conference uh, earlier this month in New Orleans, and uh, one of uh-huh. the panel discussions I had was on risk management, Chris. And, and what was interesting, it was all procurement people in the audience. And when I asked the question, you know, how many believe that there's risk that needs to be managed and addressed today, it was on, almost unanimous, of course, all hands went up. When I posed the question, uh, how many believe it's the responsibility of procurement to do it, if one or two hands went up, uh, that was surprising. And, and one, of the, one of the issues was when somebody said it's a legal issue, it's not really in our arena, but it's like it almost seems like within an organization, there doesn't seem to be a definitive a champion or leader. I mean, is that part of the problem as well? Yeah, well, it is. It is. And one of the questions that we did in our study which is different than what you saw at the conference. You know, we asked the question in terms of, you know, the responsibility. You know, what are some of the principal challenges in terms of establishing this supply risk management program? And, you know, one of the challenges was is that procurement is held responsible, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have the mandate or the resources to address the issues. So I think, and I'll give you a percentage here, you know, what we saw is that, you know, the primary accountability for supply risk management, number one, you know, who's responsible for monitoring, reporting risk or supply risk management? Um, you, know, 20, you know, roughly 28% of organizations said the CPO and his organization is doing that. But right behind that was no clear owner. But at least there's, you know, some focus, even though it's not a huge percentage, it is the number one of seeing the procurement organization be responsible. But then the second question that we asked is not only who's responsible, but when, you know, if you're responsible for monitoring reporting, who has responsibility for taking direct action to deal with whatever risk that do occur? And, you know, more than almost 40 percent said there's no clear owner on that. But as you further go down, then you see some, you know, ownership around the procurement. You know, you just reminded me of that commercial that I've been seeing about credit risk monitoring for on a personal level where somebody uh-huh. goes into a dentist's office, the dentist examines and says, oh, my goodness, look at all these problems with your teeth. 
uh, some work has to be done. And then he takes off the gloves, the dentist, and, and, and he's about to leave. And the patient says, well, wait a second, Henry, can you do anything about it? He said, oh, no, I'm just a monitoring service. And the, the yeah. end line was, what good is it to monitor it if you don't take action on it? So I don't know if you've seen right. that commercial, but that immediately came to mind. So it, it, it's almost like it, it comes in as a recognizer, but it goes out in, in many instances, 40%. You said, where, well, who's going to pick it up? Who's going to do it? So what's the solution to stimulate that? Because this sort of segues into my next question, because your paper made an interesting point, made a number of them, by the way, is that you're talking about the, the risk management software tools that are currently available on the market, use the word, are still immature when it comes to an integrated view of risk, and that leaves a lot of room for growth. Now, I imagine that's a lot of room for growth in the, in the, in the side of the provider, uh, on the provider side, Chris, but from, from, the, uh, from the end user, from the, the practitioner side, how much of an influence will that have if they're given the tools that can make it easy or easier to claim ownership. I mean, do we have to get over that hurdle separate from the introduction of the tools and the, and the resources to do this? Or is it something that uh, this will facilitate by the introduction of better tools and resources? Yeah, yeah I absolutely think the tools is one of our challenges today. Um, you know, today, you know, when we did our study, you know, we asked organizations, what tools are they using you know, to support, you know, risk management or supply risk management efforts. And, you know, not surprisingly, you know, Microsoft Office is the most widely used tools. But, you know, you also see the homegrown. You see, you see a, a very much of a, a wide variety of different types of te technologies and tools that are being used to help with supply risk management. Um, you are seeing the, you know, the advent of some of the, I'll call them the more of the purpose-built, you know, niche supply risk management software types of tools, and and so there's been a, a proliferation of those types of tools, and it's it's a wide proliferation today, uh, which we do believe is going to be one of the fastest, you know, advancing areas when you think about technology supporting the procurement and supply risk management type of areas uh, over the next, you know, three to five years. So these tools will certainly give us the ability to react much more quickly and potentially be able to deal with it. Because one of the challenges that we have today is that risk is so broad and, and deep that it's very difficult for us to do much more than scratch the surface you know, with some of the financial solvency types of tools that we have today and a few other tools. Now, there's been some very interesting tools developed that are giving organizations more predictive capabilities around supply risk. But even the organizations that are using some of those tools, they are using other tools. What we're not seeing is a tool that does everything. And so there tends to be a portfolio of tools today that organizations are using to have this broad-based, you know, deep risk management capability in their organizations. But that will continue to change over time. Um, in many ways, um, you could actually see a, an environment where it's much more networked. And so seeing a risk network created that the network, you know, starts getting access to these different capabilities that are being built, whether it's in financial solvency type of information or, you know, in terms of various companies, uh, et cetera, and, and then pulling all that together to give a much more broad-based risk capability. Now, the, the, I believe that the bigger challenge there and in some of the organizations I see that are starting to use some of the more advanced risk tools out there and are seeing some early indicators of that, they still are challenged with some of the investments that have to be made in this particular area. 
Okay, so what it really what you're you're saying, if I and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is at this point in time there seems to be, a, and I don't know if this is the right word, but a patchwork of solutions being done at at I guess we'd call it the localized level or within the individual organizations, but there isn't a continuity or or, or one one particular. Uh, as you uh, would call it, a, a integrated view of risk. It, there's so many different variables out there. How do you corral all of those things? How do you go about selecting, you know, the right solutions from that with the market still being so immature? Well, I think you know the 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 area that organizations still have to focus on is, you know, what are they actually trying to protect? And you know, rather than just getting a solution and then worrying about, you know, what they're going to do to to protect and what they're going to go focus on second uh, is really a backwards way of doing it. And I think, you know, they should be more purpose built. And so I think you have to understand from the organization, what are we trying to protect as an organization? And, you know, that question has to be, you know, answered by the senior leaders of the, of the company. And, and that could be that we're trying to protect our brand. It may be that you're trying to protect your revenue or your, uh, you know, the people, the safety of, of the individuals within the organization. But you have to get some guidance as a supply management organization as to what is most important and help us pr- prioritize what's most important to protect as a company. And once you understand that, then you can start helping, uh, you know, to understand is what from a supply risk management standpoint or from a supply standpoint could impact that which we are trying to protect. So if it's our revenue we're trying to protect, you know, some of the things that we have to look at are assurance of supply. Because if we do have an you know, interruption in supply, that's going to have an impact on our ability to generate revenue for the organization. And then you have to ask yourself, what are the things that could, you know, interrupt our, you know, assurance of supply? You know, that could be, you know, what I was saying before, it could be a financial solvency issue within the supply base. It could be a geopolitical issue in somewhere around the world. It could be a natural hazard disaster. It could be a, a, a multiple of things. And so we have to prioritize. But we have to start with what are we trying to protect in the business? If the brand is the most important thing to the company, then what are we going to do to protect our brand? And that may be things like you know, the existence of child labor within our supply chain you know, four tiers down. So that may become the most important thing that we focus on. So the reason I say that is I don't think it's just going out and getting a tool. You have to understand what are the things you're trying to protect first and then go out and look at the marketplace to see what are the best tools out there to help me actually deliver on that to the organization. Now, doesn't that become more challenging, going back to the other uh, earlier uh, comment, is that if you don't have a champion or somebody who owns it within the organization, then how are you going to get to that mm-hmm. stage to be able to answer the question, how do you know what what to protect? It's like the chicken or the egg scenario to a certain degree. I mean, yeah. would I be mistaken in, 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 in that, uh, you know, analogy? Yeah. Well, you know, like I was saying before, you know, because of that, where the programs have tended to be most successful is where you have this regulatory external pressure on the organization that you have to develop it. Number two is that an event had occurred, you know, more recently that interrupted supply, you know, had an impact on the ability of that company to deliver, you know, products to the marketplace and generate revenue and and ultimately an impact on their stock price. 
Well, that generated a lot of focus on actually developing a capability. Without those two things in existence and without the clear, you know, you know, focus on who owns this risk, it becomes very difficult. You, you see, you know, one of the things that flashed, and, and, and I'll digress a little bit here, because, you know, if it's driven by a crisis situation, one of the questions I ask in a lot of, of the seminars I give is, you know, it, does procurement require a crisis to do something creative or, or, or fall? Like, for example, you're probably familiar with the Minnesota I-35 bridge collapse, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. in that particular scenario, when that occurred, uh, what happened is is that the state actually – I, I put aside its normal practice because they needed to rebuild the bridge quickly. And, one, and two of the reasons for it were, number one, it was a main artery and, and, and as part of the infrastructure, but number two, one, to honor those who had lost their lives tragically. And what was interesting is is they, they abandoned, to a certain degree, their normal way of doing business. They got together with the, 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 the suppliers with whom they worked to, to build a bridge, uh, on a yep. transparent, shared risk basis, they got it up in time, even though it was an architectural uh, uh, project that hadn't been done before, and on budget. So the crisis triggered a collaborative effort. However, and this yep. is something trailing this story afterwards, is as soon as the crisis passed, the next bridge project, which wasn't born out of the same situation, they reverted back to the old way of doing things, and lo and behold, the project ran overtime and over budget. So the concern with, with that is, is that can risk management become a, a, a proactive, scalable approach, uh, or is it always going to be based upon, as you mentioned on, on a couple of occasions, a triggered event that makes you have to respond to it, but then again, as time passes and you move away from that particular incident, it, it, it makes people wonder, well, why are we doing this now? I mean, is that that's really sort of a disquieting kind of a, 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 an understanding of this if it's going to take uh, actual triggers to, or events to cause people to take risk uh, uh, ownership seriously. And I don't know if seriously is the right word, Chris, but, you know, at least take a proactive stance versus a reactive stance. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I'm not surprised of the – you know the analogy that you use, or the you know the example that you used on the on the bridge in, in Minnesota. Um, you know that's what I have found. You know in many cases. You know I truly believe that you know a lot of these financial you know institutions that are having to build very robust supply risk management programs because of the pressure pressure of the you know the regulatory bodies externally, uh, that those programs would not be as robust if that pressure didn't exist. It's because an event occurred, because there's external pressure, or an, you know an event happened in the company that has generated that kind of focus. I have several organizations that built very robust risk management programs in the past because of the fact that an event occurred. If you fast forward, you know five years later, seven years later, um, in some cases these programs do not exist anymore. And, you know, we actually highlighted some of the capabilities in some of these programs, you know, when they actually built them because of the robustness of them. But they were not able to sustain them because if they got further away from the event, you know, the questioning started, you know, do we really need this? Nothing has occurred. And so the question I think these organizations have to ask themselves is do they have a false sense of security within their organizations based on supply risk? 
see, I, 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 and I'm a bit dumbfounded by that because, you know, those who fail to learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. I mean, ultimately, it makes it very, very difficult uh, for uh, any, let's say, service provider offering a, a risk management software tool to dedicate any amount of time because this is, it's like what happens as you're trying to penetrate that marketplace, those variables that we talked about, uh, the uh, lack of a definitive champion within the organization, a short-term uh, crisis-driven uh, motivation for doing it, reactive versus a proactive. I mean, it, it's got to be maddening for, uh, for, for risk management software providers to look at this and say, well, you know, what do we do? I mean, there's no long-term traction. There's no moment where it gets that, aha, we got to do this no matter what, and everyone does it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. doesn't, that, yeah. doesn't that slow down well, I, the creative process and the innovative process that leads to that integrated view of risk that you talk about? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's the – I think some of the tools that are being built today are going to provide different visibility you know, to organizations and senior management. Um, you know, we had the hurricanes more recently, and, you know, for example, the you know, the hurricanes – you know, in Houston, uh, that interrupted you know quite a bit of supply in that area, you know, chemicals, et cetera. And as a result of that, you know, there were some organizations they were able to access and get access to supply and had the visibility much quicker than other organizations, and in in many ways took advantage of a situation, um, you know, where others were not able to do that. And I think as organizations see that you know, these things do happen and that organizations that have that ability to react very quickly because of some of the risk capabilities that they have um, are able to, you know, gain, in some cases, market share advantages um, because they are able to supply, you know, you know, as those things become more and more visible, um, I think you're going to see more investment in this area. And, you know, because of some of the tools that are out there today, um, these types of things are becoming much more feasible. Um, it is tough, um, but I do believe that as organizations see the impact, especially when you have events, you know, exa great example is the hurricanes that we had in Houston, or the hurricane that we had in Houston, um, that it will shine a light on this, and organizations will certainly consider this uh, to a much higher degree going forward. Well, you know what I'm thinking, and, 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 and again, I'm reminded of an article, a post I wrote uh, back in 2011 on the uh, Nokia and Ericsson case study. And it's a well-known case study. I certainly haven't been the only one to cover it. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. that, but where lightning uh, struck uh, the uh, Philips plants in New Mexico, a microchip plant, and mm -hmm. uh, Nokia and Ericsson, of course, relied heavily on these. But what was interesting is Nokia – had a supply chain management strategy that allowed it to switch suppliers quickly, uh, even re-engineered some of its phones, while Ericsson did not have a backup plan. And, and what was interesting is, is that uh, Nokia's profits rose by 42% that year, and, and Ericsson uh, lost uh, U.S. $400 million in annual earnings. I mean, like, this is going back many years. You'd think that these yeah. things would act as a beacon for taking action, wouldn't you? Or, 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 or again, is this one of those things that it happened, uh, we dealt with it, uh, you know, uh, certainly Nokia was, was good on this, but they were proactive on this. But do these get lost over time again, going back to what you said? How do we plant a firm foundation of proactive resolve 
to do it. I guess that's what I'm saying. What is the best way? And I know your paper certainly helps to to bring the issue to to light. But what do you think has to be done? I mean, let's start with within an organization. Who do you think should own risk management within an organization? Well, I think it's you know one of the things that you have to think about is that certainly procurement has a big role in that. But one of the things that we highlighted in our study was that it's not necessarily, you know, you know, you know, a individual. But, you know, one of the things that we found is, you know, having the greatest success is having a cross-functional supply risk management council um, as an organizational entity, you know, seem to have the greatest influence in terms of creating, you know, cross-enterprise capabilities focus around supply risk management. You know, there are, you know, what you found is that that was less than 50% of the organizations actually had an entity like that, where most organizations, you know, may have had a dedicated supply risk management team, you know, within procurement focused on this. But when you look at that, you know, it's not necessarily the most effective way to have that ownership within the organization. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for joining us today. We're out of time. Like every good conversation, it flies by too quickly. The paper uh, that you co-authored is Emerging Options for Supply Chain Risk Management. We'll, of course, have the link to that paper on the segment show page. And as always, Chris, it's it's great to have you on the show and and, and to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Alrighty. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. And to you, our listening audience, thank you, of course, for sharing what is your most important asset, as I always like to say, your time. Uh, be sure to check on upcoming shows uh, in the, uh, first of all, not only the Risking It All series, but other uh, We're going to be welcoming somebody from Evalua to talk about their recent acquisition news uh, over the next week. Uh, so, again, be sure to tune in. Until then, I remain your host, as always, John Hansen. Have a great week. <laughs>